Welcome to People's Church Podcast. New Year's Eve, can you believe it? 23 is fading away, 24 is on its way, but who's keeping count, right? All of us, <laughs> whether we want to or not, life marches on. It's going to be a good year in ways for you. It's going to be a hard year in ways for you. It's going to have its own challenges. God gives us faith to meet it on every level that it comes at us. Today I want to talk to you about how to really live out a great life this year. How to be alive. Because no matter what we go through, the struggle is to stay alive. You know success can dull your life as much as failure. We are looking at life from an inside point of view. Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you remember, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water and I would give you water that springs up within you to eternal life and you would never be thirsty. That's being truly alive. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness, John 10, 10. He's, he's stating a condition that he says, I, I know life's gonna have as hard goes, but I want you to always be fully alive. To be fully alive. To live every moment, feel the pain. We don't like that idea. But feeling the pain is part of being fully alive. In feeling the pain, we have a heart that can be healed. If we don't feel the pain, no healing will be received because you don't have a heart that can feel pain. Pain is a precede, preceding place, can we say, of, of receiving God's nurturing, God's healing, God's hope, God's health. It's going to be all of that in life. To be fully alive is not circumstantially driven. It's not the idea that everything has gone well. When I wish you a happy new year, I'm not wishing you that, boy, nothing bad will ever happen to you. That would be a complete disconnect from reality. You're going to have things come your way. You know that. Just evaluate 23. The key is how alive are you going to be? And how much more alive do you wish to be going into a new year? And in, not, in this year that we've just come through, how many of you would say, this was a life of meaning I lived this year? I found meaning in everything, even the hard stuff, the painful stuff, the hard to understand stuff, the confusing things, where the question why seemed to want to just, can we say, trump every other card that is played. God wants you fully alive, not partly. And the secret to life I want to talk to you about a little bit today, being fully alive, uh, I want to use two wine stories on New Year's Eve. Kind of a fit, okay? It's kind of a match here. So we're going to use a couple wine stories to illustrate some things that Jesus taught us about that and how we can be more fully alive and meaning, living in meaning. If you can find meaning in everything that comes your way, because you trust God. Because you know somebody has a bigger plan than you do. Because you know failures don't interrupt God's processes. Because you know that he can enfold everything into your life into purpose and design and meaning. Even losses. When we recognize the kind of God that we serve and his power, not just over nature, his power to be able to bring his outcomes through the most unexpected ways. 
he'll bring meaning. A loss of meaning is a horrible way to exist. It's extremely uncomfortable. People are struggling for meaning all the time. We struggle for meaning. The biggest question, of course, is what is the meaning of life? What we want to talk about today more is how do you really just live life to the full? How do you keep your spirit alive in the midst of all things? In these stories, we find some amazing principles to do that. So I've entitled this just very simply, Two Wine Stories. Luke 5, 37 to 39 is the first one. Very short portion. Jesus is teaching something that's very important. And he says in this story, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine bursts the old skins, ruining the skins and spilling the wine. New wine must be put into new wineskins. But no one after drinking the old wine seems to want to want the fresh and the new. The old ways are best, they say. Oh, he's teaching some powerful things just in that little telling. If we look at our lives, most of the time our drive is for comfort and not change. Or even growth. We'll take growth as long as it doesn't disturb to certain levels of comfort. As long as there's mm, limits on the discomfort, I'll take growth. But oftentimes, God's agenda is different than yours in your life. And he knows that you need growth, you need strength to face the life and the purpose that he's designed for you. He knows that your strength has to be developed on the inside to take on the outside of what life is going to bring and the challenges that God's got for you in his will. In his will. Very simple premise. Anybody that does wine in the old countries knows this. You never, never put new wine in these old wineskins. There's a reason. It's because the new wine basically is going to create this chemical kind of, of combustion within it. And you are going to have an expansion. If there's no flexibility left in the wineskin, the wineskin just bursts and everything is wasted. The new can't be held. Oftentimes in life, we can't hold the new life because we are trapped in trying to make it fit into old wineskins. You take that in a relational sense. Oftentimes relationships might need a new bit of, of life. But they're trying to fill an old wineskin. They're not willing to change the wineskin out because it would be too uncomfortable to do so. It's an interesting thing. The only way that new life is going to come into you is if you've got a wineskin that's got some flexibility, that's got some ability to be able to move with the pressures that that new wine brings for change, for health. You know, even when it comes to medical condition, I know right now I've got to go see my physiotherapist pretty soon because something's really given me grief and I'm going to have to go and do I want to go? No. Do I need to go? Yes. Do I want new strength back into the joint? Yes, I would love to have strength back into the joint. But I know what that means. I know what I'm going to have to go through. And he's going to try and build some flexibility back into that wineskin. 
When it comes to new life, new strength, it's what is being poured into. Do you know that God's always willing to pour new things into your life? But every time he does, you can't hold it. It spills on the ground because your flexibility caves. God wants your flexibility so that he can house that new wine and hold it and let it mature in your life. The new and the old are often very incompatible. They don't work together. Okay, got a question for you. How many here know what an eight track is? Just raise your hand proudly. How many actually had one? How many here do you have no idea what an eight track is? Thank you for being honest. Uh, it, it's an old cartridge tape music, stick it in a great big thing and it played music. <laughs> Nothing digital about it. How many know what a cassette tape is? Oh, more. Okay, so that cassette tape, does it play in an eight track? Not going to happen, right? You had to change the hardware, didn't you? How many here know uh, let's say what, let's say, uh, oh, what do I go to now? How many know what an iPod is? All right, how many still have one? That's a crime. In this age, that's a crime. The old and the new are often not compatible. You can't take one technology today in any area, in any area. We're just using something having to do with, with uh, forms of communication, whether music or whether teaching or anything. And you cannot place that into the old technology. It won't work. It's the same thing in our life. You cannot take the new energies for what you want in your relationships and plug it into a 10-year-old technology. It won't work. You have to update the hardware. You have to bring something different for that to play into. It's capacity. Those things don't have the flexibility to ride this year with you. They might have worked last year. More than likely, they will work less this year if they work at all. If we are not updating the skins of our life, of our relationships, the incompatibility is just glaring. And you can't have the new stuff. You're just running through life and it gets boring and it gets that you just turn over time and you're not picking up any more life. You wish you had more life. You wish that what you were in had more life. But you haven't changed anything about the structure so that new life can be held. So even when the Lord would pour something new into your life or you guys do something new within your relationship and there's, there's a chance here for some new energy, new zest, it can't last because you actually didn't change the structure that you poured it into. You deal with the incompatibility by being willing to change. Willing to change. And more importantly, being willing to be changed by God. More or less giving up the right to change you to God. It's a point of surrender. It's not just, I want to make some change. Gee, I'd love to quit this this year. I'd love to add this this year. It's not just coming out of you. But even moving that willingness into, I am willing for God to work his changes in me. It's a little higher level. But that's how you beat incompatibility. 
That's why you're building in flexibility. You're giving up control of change to somebody beyond just your own little ability to control the comforts of your life. And you're saying, you can make me uncomfortable. It's up to you. I trust you with my change. I need you for my change. I understand I can't actually change certain hardware without you. So there is this beautiful moment of surrender that can produce a change by God in us. You have to be willing to be changed and then you have to give up the ownership of the change to God and give him the right to do it. Are you willing to do that or are you still want to hang on to the old incompatibilities that get exacerbated because you won't change the habits of your relational world or you won't change the habits of your economic world or you won't change the habits of your health world? Oh, I like to ask tough questions. You want to hear the news? I don't get them right all the time. You know who gets more convicted in messaging than you? Me. I got to prepare these things. He talks to me for days about this. You get like a few minutes, well, maybe a little longer than a few minutes. God wants to have ownership of your change. Incompatibility has to be taken out of your life between the new and the old. There are two catalysts to change. You know these. First, seeing the light. What is the second? Feeling the heat. You either see the light or you feel the heat. You need one of those to initiate change. There has to be catalysts. That's what causes the action. And we find two catalysts. You got to see the light. New learning, new ability. God reveals something to you and says, this has got to change about you. That's when you give up that change to God and he says, here's what I want to work on. Here's what I want to change. You might not have seen this, but this is really a, something we need to get rid of because it's, it doesn't have flexibility for, for the life I'm putting in you. You know that attitude that you have a control in your life? You want to control your schedule, control everything about your life, control your energy, control your gifts, control your talents, control everything? Say, I, I want that to change. And if you hear that, you, you can actually begin to see it, then you are already in the process of change. You're already on the journey, which is powerful. Because it's not the arrival point that counts. It's the actual catalyst and then moving into the process. That's where the power is. It's in process. Feeling the heat is where the pain just keeps mounting because inflexibility is the root of much pain in our life. I'm not flexible in letting that go. I'm not flexible in bringing that in. I'm not flexible in those things. By acting and living out that way, we actually increase the pain component. And by the way, that is a good thing because it's getting more aware that you got a cancer, it's got to be dealt with. It's got to be removed. Here's some new attitudes. There are three compartments of necessary change. The first is attitudes. You got to have new attitudes. If your attitudes have been more resistant to God or resistant to forgiveness in a relationship or resistance to believing or resistance, you know, to actions that you need to take. If your attitudes have been more in a resistant mode to these things so that it's changes made, is just, it is pulling teeth. It is just horrible, painful process for you. It doesn't need to be like that. But I'll tell you that the best way to change always starts within your attitude. So attitudinal flexibility is incredibly important. Now here's some inflexible attitudes. I've never, I, I have never done that. 
I've never done it that way. Whenever you're, you're working with the simplest things in life, the one thing that will keep you constrained is that you've done it a certain way before and any new idea or way of potentially doing that, you have this natural built-in resistance to. That is an attitude that will keep you from growth. That is an attitude that will keep you on the sidelines of the best that God would have for you in this next year. The best growth that's possible within your relationship. It's only possible because God is going to say, it's not about what you have done in the past. I want to do something new. In fact, he says it right in the scriptures. I want to do a new thing in you. And he wants to do new things in us. But our attitude, I've never done that, is an attitude that's resistant and inflexible. I can't do it. There's another one. I can't do it. I don't have the skill, the energy, the talents. I just don't have the heart for it. I don't have... See, you're living a life of faith, believer. And I can't do it is something that... The problem with it is not just the words, it's that they are isolated away from God and they are only within your own sovereignty. You're saying, I can't do it. Paul had it better. He put it this way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he went at it with a different math. He, he said, I can do, but he didn't, he didn't say, I could do it and that's the end. I can do it through Christ. So this attitude in him had this huge flexibility that started with, yes, I can, I, yeah, I can, I can. And I'll tell you why I can do it is because it's through Christ. So all my potentials, all my possibilities, all the things that could be healed, the things that could be let go of, the things that could be taken in, now become possible because of Christ. Here's two attitudes that you really need to make sure never ever are a part of your change progress. Are you ready? I always, you don't always do anything. And when you begin to measure your processes of change by, I always, I always fail. I always get that wrong. I always, you don't always do anything. Change is process-oriented and thinking. And because it's oriented to, your, to, to just a journey in your life, then this always becomes a very irrelevant word. It's not relevant to change. And another one is, I never... That's got to go get out of your linguistics. I never... Yes, you do. There is nothing that you never do. So when we think about change and processes and new attitudes, these are attitudes that stand in the way. I find that the more people want glory for themselves, the more they move into these attitudes of this sort of perfection model. I always, I never. Oh my gosh. Yes, you do. Rather have an attitude of, just like Paul, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm looking for you to direct me, Lord, on how to do this, not my past history of successes. And Lord, by the way, I don't always get it right or get it wrong. 
I get it right sometimes. I get it wrong sometimes. I can't say I never would or have because you even measure the attitude of my heart and the thinking of my mind. New attitudes is a compartment of necessary change. New adjustments. Adjustments to your ways of thinking first. Ways of thinking. Ways of acting. Ways of responding. Ways of talking. You have certain ways that are just kind of get very rigid. Ways of thinking. It just automatically goes down that route. And it's gotten so entrenched that any new good thought or idea outside of that is basically almost ignored, but almost ignored in a way of being unconsciously ignoring it. Unaware of even new thoughts. Boy, if you think about business, this is a big danger in business. You can't get new thinking. Not willing to make adjustments to the times. The times are changing. The times are changing. They're always changing. They've been under change all the time and they continue to change. And if your thinking is still a strategy from 10 years ago in business, I'll tell you what, right now it isn't working too well. It has changed and it continues to change. It's dynamic. So your ways of thinking have to be dynamic. Your ways of acting, actual actions. The actions that you take, the, the, the way that you're going to act in any given situation. There has to be adjustments within it because the way you acted before isn't going to work now. The way that you acted as a two-year-old doesn't work as a 22-year-old. It changes. Changes. Flexibility. Flexibilities. Ways of responding. When you see patterns of response at the moment, something is going to come up in a certain way, you just know, here's my predictable response. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get sad. I'm going to challenge these things. Look for adjustments in the way that you respond to difficult things or hard things or the things that normally make you angry don't always have to make you angry. You have a will. The things that always have made you sad don't always need to make you sad. You have a will. The things that always disappointed you or discouraged you don't always need to disappoint or discourage you. You have a will. Ways of talking. The Bible does identify words as a very, very powerful thing to such a degree that even every word is recorded. Ah, that's scary. That's extremely scary. But every word is recorded. Every word. There's no words not recorded. Imagine that. Every word you've spoken. It's only illustrating the power of words that God says, these are important. What you say. He teaches us in the book of James that the tongue is just like steering a great big ship. It's the rudder just steering a huge ship. And that tongue also can just by a spark just start forest fires every which way it goes. This year, you're going to have to make adjustments to that to achieve the ability to hold new life. Because if you take the same words in your relationships into this year, and there's no flexibility in those words, no learning, no growing, you can't hold new life. New wine. 
Words are important. New words. Ways of saying things. Adjustments. Making adjustments to those. Another compartment is new actions. Words are big enough, but actions are huge. Attitudes. Adjustments. Actions. This is where it finally gets played out on the, on the table. It finally is played out in the game that you are in in life. It finally gets played out in the way you do everything, in your actions. You must have flexibility to change your actions. If you find something that you're doing is offending somebody, then the Bible says to you, don't do that. Don't be a stumbling block to somebody because of your own freedom. You know that's an offense. So back off of that. What's he teaching us? Go to the bigger principle. He's teaching you that your actions really matter and where you know that they are contravening the big category of love, change your actions. Change your actions. Don't live in the past. We all know that saying, right? But let me add this part to it. Don't live in the past and don't live on the past. There's nothing worse than trying to keep living your life on your past successes, your past things that went well. Don't live in the past. We all know that's not good. But don't live on the past. In the past is looking in the rearview mirror, right, and trying to drive forward. On the past, when you are literally living on the past, you are basically sitting in a still position with no movement. And you are basing everything that you're going to do on what has been successful for you in the past. So it's sort of like that one hit wonder. You know those bands, they, a lot of them in the 60s and 70s, they had one hit wonder. One song. One song. And then they became famous and they sold millions of records and made lots of money over one song. And guess what? They go on their tour and then they sing all these other songs nobody wants to hear and everybody's waiting to hear the one song, and they build a whole life off of one song. I don't know about you, but I've thought about this when I hear bands singing that one song over and over and over again, and I'm thinking, doesn't this get old? Like, doesn't this make you tired? It wouldn't motivate me to get up there and sing one song all the time. Travel the world. Yeah, I'm here to sing my one song. That's living on the past. Nothing fresh. Nothing new. Don't sing one song. Have a new song. A new song in your heart. God's always into new songs. Don't live on the past. Be grateful for past successes, but don't let them be your security. Have a gratefulness on the 31st of December, 2023. Not everything that happened this year you can be grateful for in circumstantial evidence. But you can certainly be grateful that he walked with you as Brent has already said so very well. You can be grateful for his presence. You can be grateful because you are here now on the 31st. Grateful. You know, when we go through health challenges and I've walked with people through that and all of a sudden they, they get out of that, it's like the gratefulness just goes through, oh man, I can walk now. Oh boy, I can actually, you know, uh, get back to life a little bit more now. I'm, they're so grateful. It's like a, just a new opportunity. 
Gratefulness is powerful. It's probably the most powerful emotion you can have in life because it sets up everything else. It's a total, total zone of releasing other good things. Just gratefulness. New possibilities require new actions. New pressures require new adjustments. All change requires new attitudes. So the first thing in your change is work on that attitude. Identify it. Give God the right to change that. Ask him to. Say, God, you take over this change process in my life. Because I don't want to try and handle what you got for me with an old wineskin. Old wineskins are done. They're used up. You can't use them again. And we continue to repeat that same error and think that we won't change the structure of something. Rather, we'll just, God, give me new. Or let's try and pour new in. Let's work at building this thing up. Let's work at change the wineskin. New attitudes. New adjustments. New actions. Second story. Jesus is at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Man and a woman are going to be exchanging their vows and they've been invited. Let me read this story to you. Three days later, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was at a wedding feast in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited and were there. When the wine was all gone, Mary said to Jesus, they don't have any more wine. Jesus replied, mother, my time hasn't yet come. You must not tell me what to do. <laughs> I love that. What he's really saying to her is, you can't tell me when to start the miracles, mother. It's not my time yet. Mary pushes his button. Mary then said to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So instead of telling Jesus what to do, she then told the servants what to do. At the feast, there were six stone water jars that were used by the people for washing themselves in the way that their religion said they must. We could just read over that and not understand it. It was really, really quite simple. There's ceremonial washing all of the time within the Jewish religion. And it was sort of that idea of, of decontamination. It was like when the Pharisees wanted to wash their hands after touching a common person. It was like this idea of just washing away, uh, you know, the bad kind of a thing. And it was stone water jars because stone doesn't hold the bacteria. It doesn't hold the dirt. It cleanses. Stone is such a hard surface. It was about external cleansing. Each jar held about 100 liters. Jesus told the servants to fill them to the top with water. Then after the jars had been filled, he said, now take some water and give it to the man in charge of the feast. So let's track so far. They run out of wine. Jesus is there by invitation. His disciples are there by invitation. It has been said it's because those disciples were there that all oh, they ran out of wine. Very possibly true. So they ran out of wine. 
Mary's looking around. She sees no other solution, but she knows her son, and she sees her son, and she says, they've run out of wine. She didn't tell him, you need to do something here, and you got to bring some new wine. She just informed them they ran out of wine. And in that information, he just comes back and he says, my time hasn't yet come. You must not tell me what to do. Well, so she didn't. She told the servants what to do. And the servants are an interesting commodity within this story. Think of yourself as the servants. And Jesus tells the servants to do something quite extraordinary. Everybody knows they ran out of wine. The servants know they ran out of wine. Not all the attenders. Not even the master of the feast knows that they've run out of wine. But the servants know. And he tells the servants to go and to fill these water jars with water. The water jars that are normally filled with water for washing themselves in a ceremonial way to cleanse the exterior. So he tells them not just to fill them. He says, fill them to the top with water. I mean the top. Then the jars, they're filled. And he just says, now take some water. Notice what he said. Take some water and give it to the man in charge of the feast. Now, if you're the servant, you're in a difficult position. Number one, you know that they ran out of wine. Secondly, you don't know Jesus. Not that way. He, to you, is nothing special in that regards. But when it comes to his directions, he just says, fill the pots with water. Now, they know if they put water in that pot, it's water. And there would be nothing worse happen at this ceremony as if these servants came out there and presented to the master of the feast water. Imagine this. You're fired. What is this? This is ridiculous. The servants were the ones that had to have some faith at this moment and follow the careful instructions, not just to fill it, but fill it to the brim. And then he doesn't even tell them it's wine when he says, take some to the master of ceremonies. He says, take the water. Interesting. The servants did as they were asked. They didn't say, uh, you know, like, water and wedding ceremony are not going together here. They didn't question him, struggle with him. They just obeyed him. An obedience that we don't understand in our world too much. Because we have to rationalize every obedience. In the Eastern mindset of that day, if you're a servant, you just did exactly what you were told. In essence, that should be our relationship with Jesus. If he has clearly instructed you on something, do it. If he has clearly instructed you not to do something, then don't do that. That's how we should actually be approaching our Lord. Trust. The story continues. The servants did as Jesus told them. And the man in charge drank some of the water that had now turned into wine. When did it turn into wine? Between them taking the water from Jesus to the master of the ceremonies. It got turned. 
There's some amazing truth in this. Let me just park it a little bit and talk about this. See, it's very important for us as believers to understand a very simple thing. That is, you cannot perform a miracle. You can't turn water to wine. You can't even do that in relationships because there's two people and they got their own will and their own decision to make. And when you try, you're going to mess it up. Turning water to wine is meant for God. Only he can turn water to wine. What is our role? Fill the jug. Do what we're told. Fill the jug. Fill it with water. Water's good. It's not meant for the celebration. It's not what was needed. It needed something more. But you can't bring that more. You know, when you are, are in a relationship with your kids, let's say, and you're going through a tough time or a rough time, you can bring them jugs full of water, and that's a good thing for you to do. But your faith, your obedience is the beginning of God turning water to wine. You need wine somewhere? Life, energy, good stuff. Quit trying to bring the wine. You don't have it. Bring the water. And water's a good thing to bring. And so he did. They did. And here we have the finish of it. This guy, he drinks this wine. And he calls the bridegroom over and said, the best wine is always served first. Then after the guests have had plenty, the other wine is served. But you have kept the best until last. Notice where the best is. Is it first? It's last. Where's the best supposed to be in our relationships? First or last? Where's the best supposed to be in any part of your life, any compartment you wish to choose? First or last? Last. You saved the best for last. You say, you just don't know how my life has fallen apart in ways. Do the first part that we talked about. Understand you got to have a new wineskin. You need God to refashion that wineskin. Return flexibility to your life. A fresh kind of surrender that produces that ability to flex with the new wine that he wants to put in. And then out of that, you're going to begin a process of transitioning from a new to an old mature. It's going to mature in you. And that's a beautiful process as he's doing that. It's tough. It's, it's, a, it's a discipling. It's a hard road. But then you get to the point where now you're actually towards just the things in life. What do we do? Water, 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 water. I can't bring wine, folks. I can bring you water, but the Holy Spirit with his touch can transition water to wine. I can bring a message, but it's not, it's, I can't bring the wine in the message. God has to do that. It has to be God's spirit. 
spirit has to be his anointing. You bring what you bring. You can, in your musical abilities, what we just observed, how beautiful. These folks are amazing. They got amazing ability, but that's not wine. It only becomes wine as that water is transitioned over into wine by the touch, the anointing of the presence of God's spirit. It's the same thing in our parenting, in our roles in life, in our husband and wife roles. It's the same thing in our friendship roles. Same thing in our economics. Same thing in everything. Because money, you don't want to have money control you. What you want, and that can be poor or rich, but what that happens is that you're just trying to develop water and you're trying to have have it all and think it's going to be wine. No, no. Money only becomes wine when it has been transitioned under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and God has his ownership and control of all those things. Just talk to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler who had money ruined his best opportunity in life where he could have lived out a wine instead of a water-driven life, but he refused to give control of that area to his life. Every part of our life. Jesus walks up to a man on a mat, paralyzed, I think, 38 years, waiting for some hocus-pocus kind of promise from a stirring of water to get into the pool of Siloam that he might be healed, but you have to be first. It's, it's hocus-pocus. Jesus comes along and asks him one simple question. One simple question. Here was the question. Do you want to be healed? I mean, do you want it? To which the man said, oh, I never get the opportunity. Everybody else beats me in. I never get to be first, and I have no one to carry me into the water. Just do you want to be healed? What do you want? You say, I want wine. I want something beyond that water. I want something that he can touch and turn into that which represents a full life, effervescent living. No matter what I go through, I want to have that strength and sense and, com- and that compatibility with God and his work in my life that produces this kind of energy and good living in me. The best wine is always served first. Then after the guests have had plenty, the other wine is served, but you have kept the best until last. This was Jesus' first miracle, and he did it in the village of Cana in Galilee, some backwater town. There Jesus showed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. New wine is found in his command. Notice whenever he's going to do anything, Jesus commands. He says to these guys, go fill, go fill the jars. You know, everything he wants to begin that's good and fresh in you, that's gonna, that has potentials of new wine, it's going to start with a command. It's going to say, you go do this. He does it all along. Watch every miracle, every interaction. There's a command. Go show yourself to the priests. Every interaction. There's a command. So if there's a command, then the next thing is obedience. Because when he gives a command, you, if you want to live out options in that world, you're going to miss out on this beautiful touch that he puts upon water to make it wine. Our obedience, and not just our obedience, our full-hearted response. And if there's something I'd just really try and enforce here today, 
for 2024 for every one of us here is not just to be obedient to the commands when he gives them. You know what is the right thing for you to probably do in your home right now or in your business or in your own heart, in your own management of your life. You already know a lot of what you need to do. Treat that like God giving you a command. And the Lord is saying, do this. Don't do this, do this. Return obedience and full-hearted response. Let's finish with this part. Your part is to fill the water jugs. Fill the water jugs in your home. Do the right things. Do what he says. Bring it into your home. Quit leaving those water jugs over there empty or for another purpose of some exterior washing. You see, those were meant for exterior washing, but the wine does the interior cleansing. It represents the blood of Christ. Fill the water jugs in your home. Fill the water jugs in your business, in your profession. Fill the water jugs. Just fill the water jugs. Don't try to be God. Just love him. Trust him. Let him be God. Fill your water jugs. Where it is. You say, you say, well, that's not so hard. I can do that. Yeah, it's work. You're going to, telling you, these things with stone water jugs, 100 liters. These guys were working and sweating to make that all happen. Your talents, your gifts, your abilities, how you nurture those out, how you bring about the use of those is where meaning is going to be found in your life. And these servants, without even understanding the big picture, just obeyed Jesus. And you say it was a cultural thing. Well, it's still better than not. But on the other hand, it's not just a cultural thing. He's putting this in there to say, this is what my servants need to be like. We choose to be like that. Because we're free men and women who can choose to be servants like that. Your part is to fill the water jugs. That is your limit. You cannot turn everything into wine. Only he can then turn your water into wine. And in between the water and the wine, you fill that gap with trust because he's going to put you right to the edge and say, just carry this water jug right out into the center of your home. You trust me. Carry this water jug into the center of your life, to the center of your energies, your economics. Carry this water jug out there. Put it right out there. Take it to the master of the ceremonies. Let them taste what I can do you be the carrier and you trust me that between leaving that room with those stone water pots and entering into the big arena where the celebration is ongoing and bringing it to the master of the ceremonies and then putting it at the feet and saying, Jesus sent this.
And you watch what he turns to wine. Don't try to produce it yourself. Be the biggest mistakes that we make are found in that category. We control to produce these things. Happiness. A great home. Good relationships. Strong foundations. Carry the water for those things. But the wine, the real life-giving thing, that's him. And that's where you call on God. You trust. You trust. You trust. See, you fill that gap with trust. Only he can turn your water into wine. In between the water and the wine, you fill that gap with trust. And you will find far more wine this year coming in bringing in that effervescent life. Let's stand together. Fathers, we just bow our heads before at the end of this year. I would ask that gratefulness be felt in this room, Lord, amongst all of us. Just to be grateful. Start off 24 with gratefulness. Lord, thank you for the many blessings we have enjoyed. And thank you for those things that at the moment didn't seem like blessings and maybe now still don't. But thank you that, Lord, in it we know that there is a plan, purpose. We can trust you in between water and wine. Knowing that, Lord, you are going to turn water into wine. You can turn things that are evil into things that are good. You can take mistakes that seem deadly and turn them into life for us and others. Thank you. And as we go into this new year, I pray, oh God, we will understand the way your kingdom works. We bring water. We fill the jugs. We do what we're supposed to do. But it's you with the anointing, the spirit of God in our life, and your touch alone, which produces the change, which brings life to us and to others. I pray that there will be some good understandings of these principles in our hearts today. So that as we approach a brand new year, we can stop trying to control every wine. In fact, to abrogate that away from us to you and to say it's your deal. Only you can do that. Father, we recognize today water's not enough on many days. We need wine. We need that which brings life. We need that which refills tanks and lifts. We need strength. We need joy. And we know that you use wine, Lord, as a type of that to teach us.
that that's what you want us to do is lean on him for his wine, your wine in our life. So Father, wherever in our lives we're not providing water, I pray we'd be challenged to get to work. Take our talents, our gifts, and start filling jugs. And then trusting you to turn them into something remarkable. I pray that we would do that with things, Lord, that are hard to let go, but we need to let go. I pray that you would just give us this out. Let's just fill some new jugs. Let's empty the old water out. Let's just get the new water in and fill it to the brim and then trust. Father, so many areas of our life, we need this action. We just can't produce it. We can do our work. We can be obedient. We can give full-hearted response. But in the end, we trust you to touch that water and change it. So Lord, I pray that wine will flow beautifully. The wine of the Lord will just flow beautifully into lives this year. That you will bring more and more life in every believer that's here this morning and online. And that we would back away from seeking to control every outcome. Instead, try trust in the gaps of life between water and wine. If you're here today or maybe you're online and you have never received Christ as your Savior, the close of the service, as much as you would understand it, I would encourage you to receive Christ, to start a new year right at midnight tonight. Do it this year. Claim the end of this year all next year. And if you've never received Christ, it's a simple statement and receiving of faith. It is believing. It's a form of obedience. It's a form of actually just saying, I believe. It's a new attitude. I believe. You say, I struggle with belief. Everybody struggles with belief. You believe the best way you can. He says a little bit of that is all that's required. So in your heart, here's a little prayer you might say at the end of this year, beginning of next. Jesus, there is no question who has driven my car this far in life. It's me. I have applied the gas, the brakes, controlled the steering wheel. Lord, I need wine from you, life. I ask you to come into this life and fill me with that kind of life. And I ask you to forgive me for my sins, every one of them, past, present, future. I need your mercy. I want to live in grace. Teach me how to do so. But now I decide. I receive you, Christ. I will bring the water I can. I will start to fill jugs with an expectation. And let you do the wonder. Turning that into wine. Father, bless each and every here with a new year that is truly blessed. Not in all circumstances we know, but in all outcomes we trust. Anything that comes our way, 
you are with us you will walk through it with us and you will produce good as we just give you the water in Christ's name we pray amen Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.